Hey, welcome in. Welcome in. It's the Oh No Disc Golf Podcast. Here again, episode 31. It's your boy. It's the hat. Not wearing a hat today. It's Kyle. Yeah, just just the headphones and rocking way too long of hair. We're here again on the podcast, coming to you here every Wednesday. Eric, what's your random tangent of the day, my best friend in the entire world? Take your friends who don't disc golf disc golfing. Just find any way you can to get them out there. I don't care if you have to buy them a beer, have to you know smoke with them, have to buy them lunch. Just, just convince them to try it. There's so many people that I have kind of like lightly badgered about disc golfing for a while now. And now that they're finally getting into it more and more, you can see the joy on their face when they throw a good throw. And it is one of the better feelings in the world to know I help. Makes you feel good. Makes them feel good. Yeah. I help produce that. So they find a hobby that they actually enjoy and can find like enjoyment from life in. And it's making them healthier by being outside. And it's decently amount cheaper than most hobbies. You don't need a ton to have fun. I know I buy a lot, but you don't need a ton of discs to have fun. If you can't get enough of us every Wednesday, check out our social medias. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and Patreon. We're at Ono Disc Golf on all of it. If you're looking to support us, check out our merch store, teespring.com slash stores slash Ono Disc Golf. You can also head on over to Starframe Discs. That's starframediscs.com. You can use code ONO for 5% off, and that supports us too. Today, we are going over the Stafford Open. We have an awesome interview with our friends over at Science with Millennials, and they participate in our top five this week. We did top five scientists who would smash disc golf. We're going to quickly break down what happened at the Stafford Open. We had Andrew Fish finishing at 24 under in third, Nathan Queen in second at 26 under, and Matty O running away with it at 37 under. He had almost the hot round almost every day, so that was that was pretty cool to see. I know he's been around forever, but he didn't get seen a lot last year probably with COVID. And it's awesome to see him back at it in in full force and just out there killing it. I would agree. It's pretty sweet to watch. Yep. Uh, Gatekeeper Media did all the coverage for that, so make sure you check that out. Running in the FPO was Natalie Ryan and Michelle Fraser tied at 4-under for second. And Missy Gannon took home the win at 6-under. Nice to see Missy Gannon at the top again. I think me and Kyle are both big fans of her, so... Gannon gang. Yeah, that's pretty much all that happened at the Stafford Open. I didn't get to watch all of it yet, but I will be checking it out as the week goes on. I quickly want to touch on how beautiful and great I think this sport is. I think last week I might have hit it a little hard about the people who are against the Grow the Sport movement. And I just want to kind of come back and say that as far as sports go, I do think this is one of the most accepting of anyone to like join the sport as long as you're, you know, a good guy or a decent person. True story. Also, I feel like disc golf is a very interesting sport that actually doesn't destroy the natural beauty 
of a course in the same way that golf or literally any other sport kind of destroys the environment that it's in. Whereas I feel like disc golf can actually make some areas more beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to. It's better to play amongst the woods than just in a wide open thing that that other places need. So turns uh, um, in usable pieces of land into at least like walking trails if you're not disc golfing. So another another beautiful thing about it. But we were at a tournament this weekend and it was we played we played the worst there, but it was everyone is still so like nice and fun and and cheers for you when you throw a sweet shot. And it's a great thing to be a part of. True story. For our wonderful guests this week, Cody and Rachel from Science with Millennials podcast, they explain science in a fun, easy way. Welcome to the podcast, Cody and Rachel. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. We run a podcast together that talks about science, our own personal stories, and more. We're Science with Millennials, like Eric mentioned, making science simple and fun. And uh, we want to thank you guys for having us on your podcast today, and we're very excited to be here. So also head on over to their podcast and check us out there where Rachel gives us a wonderful explanation on how plastic works. It's pretty important in disc golf too. Plastic's pretty cool. Polymers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. It's like the main piece of equipment. Oh, yeah, basically. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. I think for competitive play, you do need a shirt too. It's in the rules. You have to wear a shirt. So. And shoes. And shoes. And, and shoes, yeah. Oh, okay. Damn, it's out. I can't go play because I can't. I don't. I have to wear a shirt. <laughs> Dang. Dang, shoot. <laughs> so we talked plastic on your podcast. Would you care to give us all a quick explanation of how we throw discs? Does that make sense? Does that sound horrible? <laughs> no, that makes sense. So I think you're talking about the kinesiology of throwing a disc, which is basically how your body moves while you're throwing the disc. So when you're disc golfing, you want to focus a lot of your power from your lower body rather than your upper body, uh, as I'm sure you guys know. We try. <laughs> this is something that works out your popliteus, quadriceps, and hamstrings in your lower body, as well as utilizing your torso for power and speed as well. All of these allow for proper movement when it comes to obtaining power. A grad student did his entire thesis on the kinesiology of how to throw a disc. Uh, did a really thorough study. Well, it was a semi-thorough study. It was only on all the sample size was just men and they were all right-handed. So, you know, as thorough as you can get with all right-handed men. Mm -hmm. And it was all on backhand. So... Throwing backhand, they determined that there was eight phases. Approach, preload, transition, load, crossover, pull, plant, and release. Four of these are lower body movements, four of these are upper body movements, and they all they don't all happen like consecutively. They can happen like at the same time or like one starts halfway through another. So I thought that was really cool. It was a really cool read. It uses a lot of different muscles and muscle groups. Yeah, a lot of disc golf is all about what works for people, and there's no, what they say is perfect form. Right, yeah. They also mentioned how uh, almost everybody has, like, a pre-throw pre before any of these steps start. The first step starts when you're 
left foot lands about parallel to the foul line, and that's considered like the approach step. But they said everybody before that step kind of has their own like pre-approach okay thing that they do to like yeah generate get more speed or whatever whatever they I may guess. need. Yeah, I get what you mean. <laughs> I understand. There's this whole uh, new thing I've been watching about called spin and throw, where a guy really doesn't, he like cuts out that whole, like the whole pull part, because he holds the disc like right here the whole time, <laughs> and then just rotates with his hips to throw it. So there's no like, none of the pull. Interesting. to work. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're still generating the same type of forces on the disc. It's just a different way of generating them. Yeah. Thanks for giving us a quick breakdown and some more information on how to throw a disc. I just had to look up what the popoletus po- muscle is, so learn something new every day. Do you want to give your explanation of what it is? Share your new fact? It's by your knee. That's all I found out. <laughs> if I had to guess from the quick just looking up, it would be like the muscle that surrounds the knee. Oh, back of the knee. Sound, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's somewhere in the knee. Yeah, somewhere in the knee. Close enough for me. The bee's knees. So yeah, I mean, I feel like they named the different, eight different like stages of throwing or whatever pretty well. And like, I kind of in my head could picture each one. And I'm not even familiar with this golf, really. Do you guys like feel the same way? Like when they say like crossover... Can you kind of like picture in your head what step that's talking about or? Yeah. So there's a big thing called an X step that is like, that's, that's what I guess is what the crossover is. Yeah. Um, So there's a big X or not a big X step. You just want a small X step, but it's just um, kind of shifting your, or getting ready to shift your weight to the, to the plant foot. Right. Yeah. I see it as more. I almost break it down in my head into four steps, so it's cool seeing it broken down into eight, because I don't think of, of, I'm trying to get my top and my lower half to work together, so I don't, I don't even, like, think of them right. as, as separately, but maybe breaking it down into eight Right, steps. yeah, but they separated, like, the torso steps and the, well, and the lower body steps. Yeah, it might, it might honestly help, because I think the biggest, or best the thing that helps you throw the farthest is timing and getting that timing with your hips um, to like lead up with your release in your right arm or your right hand backhand. So I think seeing it as eight steps might help help me kind of put the timing together better. Yeah, and they did say in their research that they found that each individual person did timed their steps a little bit differently. So like one person would have, say, their crossover, like, go a little bit over into, like, the pull step or something like that, and, like, another wooden, and, like, all their timings were different. So, yeah, like you said, it goes back to being what's best for the individual. Yep. Like, what works for you. Yep, whatever whatever helps you throw the disc the farthest, you're good. <laughs> There's no wrong way to play disc golf. Yeah, I just tomahawk throw it. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Because I don't know how to throw a disc properly. <laughs> All you need to- tomahawks, and you could learn a thumber. It's almost the same thing. It's both directions. That's all you need. And you get an arrow be epic. I'm assuming that's a type of disc. 
It's literally just made for overhand throws. It like bends ah. and it's like a instead of being like perfectly round, it's kind of like a what is it elliptical? Is that the term? Where it's like a little bit oh, off okay. of round. So then like an oval type yeah, situation. Just like just by a little bit and then the circle that's on the bottom, like the rim is not uh perfectly like yeah, there's like it's thick on one point and thin on the other, so when you throw it overhand it'll do like a full um like barrel uh, roll and pan out really far. Okay. Can you explain your form to us for both backhand and forehand as best you can? Do you feel as though you're engaging your lower body enough with both of these to obtain your maximum speed? I'm just going to get the second question out of the way, and I'm going to say no. <laughs> okay. I definitely need work on both of them, but I'd say forehand more than backhand. Backhand or forehand, I got a lot of my skills from playing baseball, so I feel like that helped me kind of work the timing better in my forehand and my backhand. I'm constantly, I think, just tweaking it that... It always, it's never at its, like, perfect, perfect form. I'm doing the best I can, but not the best I can. What is it? The best I can right now, but I definitely need improvement. It'll be interesting to see how disc golf changes as, like, more and more people do research into, like, kinesiology of the movement and stuff and, like, what's ideal. Yeah, they just did a... Uh, first time they ever did motion capture, like with full-on motion capture suits, they just did it this year. So that I'm um, never haven't seen any of the footage of it shared. So I'm excited to eventually check that out. Isn't it on YouTube? Yeah, it's on the YouTube's. Yeah. Oh, I just never seen it. I guess not. Not <laughs> the whole like actual video of you know. It's just they show like little clips of it. Oh, I think I've seen Ezra's, but I didn't see right. it. I wanted I think to see KJ's and... Yeah, there was a bunch of other people who did so it. many. I would say my backhand is um, better than my forehand for sure. I use forehand for only like touchy uphand shot or up shots pretty much lately. I would say that my backhand is the best because I can't throw forehand yet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't... I Like I said, I only tomahawk shit, so it's fine. <laughs> so overhand. Keep your backhand strong. Coach um, just like <laughs> coming for you. Kyle. No reaction. I was just gonna say, as far as like breaking down my form, I've kind of been trying to follow that spin and throw method I was talking about, and I've shortened my pre-approach routine to just like to just standing almost almost with my feet touching, and then I just kind of like almost spring right into the X step like pretty quickly, and then go from there. So. It has just kind of shortened everything up, and I think it's starting to help me get the timing together. I've been using the spin and throw as well, actually, Eric. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I watched it. I watched, like, all of that thing that you sent me. Okay. And then I sent it to all my friends, too. It's pretty cool. I dig it. It is very cool. We'll have to link it in the show notes. Yeah. Anyway, essentially, I what I've been focusing on is just really loosening up my arms because I, I was kind of like tightening up my arm as I, as I was like about to throw. Uh, just getting loose has really added like another 50 feet to my throws. It's just too easy. And you don't even have to like try then. It's just whipping your body around essentially. So, yep. Just turns your arm into a slingshot. 
yeah but definitely feels feels good uh, yeah. um but it's it's definitely engaging your lower body a lot more too yes because it's just like your upper body is just kind of stagnant whereas your lower body is moving beforehand so it's just pulling your upper body along two thumbs up so when we're talking about uh so we talked about the muscles that you use kind of and like the kind of steps you use to throw a disc um but when you're talking about speed or arm speed we're measuring what is called velocity so velocity is the rate at which an object changes its position with disc golf it does not need to be measured like a baseball how fast your swing is in this case it would be where your arm is drawing back across your chest and the disc is building up centripetal centripetal force my i want to say centrifugal force but that's different <laughs> <laughs> the quicker that you're pulling the disc across yourself most likely means the faster the disc is going to go and the potential to go further um, but this also has to do with the stability of your disc which is based on like how long it stays flat I believe as well and due to uh, like gyroscopic rotation yeah, there's like a rule in physics about like gyroscopes, which a disc is just a gyroscope that as long as it's spinning, it's going to continue to go until something stops it. Um, so having the disc be flat is preferable. <laughs> MVP has entered the chat. <laughs> yeah, MVP is all about the gyroscope stuff. They try and put as much weight as possible on the outside of the disc. Yeah, it all... So, just That's all I got. to go back where you said you you don't necessarily want to keep the disc flat. The best and longest shots usually are like they're called a um, like a turnover or a flex shot where you'll throw it on like a little bit of an angle and it'll flip and go over and then come all the way back. And those are like the longest longest shots. But okay, but flat's always good because then you know where it's going to go. <laughs> I guess that also has a lot to do with like. Yeah, like you said, where you want it to go, each disc, and wind. <laughs> There's so many forces other than just the yes, just you throwing it that are acting on your disc right. at the time you release it. <laughs> also, gravity. Yeah, oh. elevation as well. So elevation has a lot. Yeah, for sure. So does your biological sex have anything to do with if you're able to throw So my answer would be not necessarily. So testosterone causes increased muscle mass so people with more testosterone in their body sometimes have a tendency to be stronger than people with less testosterone but like if a really strong biologically female person who knows how to throw a disc throws a disc next to a person a biologically male person who doesn't know how to throw a disc and is weaker than them and the biologically female person will probably throw it further so I would say, like, in general, maybe, but, like, not necessarily. Yeah, I think you obviously need some sort of muscles, but the better people are the really tall and lanky people. Those are the ones that are just, I think, have, have it easier just to just to turn turn their body into that slingshot. It's like an without... unfair natural advantage. <laughs> 
Yeah. Just longer longer levers is all it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about... I feel like throwing a disc is so much about technique that the strength can almost be not discounted completely because obviously, like, making yourself... making certain muscles stronger will help your throw if you have good technique, but the technique needs to be there as well, probably. Oh, yeah. Yep, you can't just go out there and throw discs as hard as you want. It doesn't work. We were at a disc golf course earlier waiting to get Kyle's disc back, and this guy kept trying to putt, but he was, like, going from his left hip, so it kept, like, going to the right for the basket. Flinging way out, yeah. And then this (laughs) other guy comes up and is, like, hitting hitting it over and over and over again. The guy, I thought he was just going to, like, freak out. But he kept doing the same thing over (laughs) and over again. It was like, it's not working, so... Why wouldn't you learn? Oh yeah, I've been there before. In that situation, I can at least usually get it close enough eventually that I can just like put it in with <laughs> my hand. <laughs> my uh, my favorite is whenever I go to leagues or anything, I always go out and practice putt first, and I hit like my first three in a row from like far out, and everyone's like, "No way!" And then I miss like my next thirty practice putts. <laughs> And everyone's like, oh, Eric's here. Yep. <laughs> so MVP has a couple discs. You know, they got two that have scientists on them. I know who Nikola Tesla, is that his name? Nikola, right? Yeah. Okay, Nikola Tesla. Um, but they also have a new one that just came out this past year with Marie Curry on it. Would you like to explain to me who she is? So first off, I want to say, you should have listened to our podcast because Rachel and I talked about it a lot, (laughs) but she's an amazing person and a well-known scientist. Um, Like I said, we did an episode about it. It was about radiation, and we talked about Marie Curie a lot and the dude, TM. (laughs) That's an inside joke from episode two. She struggled to get recognition for her work, which Rachel can tell you about her work, and had a wonderful, also a scientist, husband that stood up for her and made sure her work got recognized and his name was Pierre. She was also the first woman to win a Nobel Prize in 1903. Yeah, so like Cody said, uh, she, was, she was the first person to win the Nobel, woman to win the Nobel Prize, but she's also the only woman, woman I think, to win two Nobel Prizes in two different categories. Um, she has one in physics and one in chemistry. Um, the one in physics, I believe, is for kind of discovering x-rays. Um, so without her work, you would not be able to go to the, like, emergency room and get an x-ray when you break your leg or get a CAT scan because a CAT scan is just a bunch of x-rays from different angles and stuff like that. And, um, that was what she won the first one for. And I believe the second one was for creating pure radium or purifying radium. I think radium's just, a radioactive element so they put her on a glow reactor do you think they put her on that disc because it's a reactor or because it glows in the dark you know maybe both maybe a little column a a little column b gotcha but she did due to the lack of safety precautions at the time when working with radiation she did actually die of uh i think it was leukemia but it was some sort of some type of cancer unfortunately because when radiation was first discovered, we didn't know that it would 
be harmful <laughs> to us. We were like, well, we don't die right away from it at like lower doses. Obviously, if you're exposed to like a high level of radiation, you can die right away. But we didn't really realize the long-term consequences. Yeah, big thing. Also, we talked about the radium girls. They would uh, paint watches and put the radium paint in their mouth. Oh. And eventually started having like a lot of issues with their teeth. Oh, to live back in the good old days. <laughs> right. When you could die because you put radioactive paint in your mouth. <laughs> By the way, you can still buy radium paint on like Amazon for $20. Really? Not that I'm saying you should, but you can. What would I use it for? Put it in your mouth. <laughs> Drink yeah, you it. it no. Obviously, Eric. Make a special cocktail. I mean, the reason the they mixer. used it in... The reason they used it in watches and stuff back in the day is because when mixed with other things, it fluoresces, so it glows, so they would paint numbers on watches, so they'd be, like, glowing. But radium by itself actually doesn't fluoresce very much. It does, like, a little bit, but not really. Hmm. All right. Well, don't need any radium paint. Don't go to Amazon. If you could have your own disc, what would you name it? So I gave this some thought earlier, but he's really annoying me right now. So I'm going to skip to the second disc. So you're not going to name it after <laughs> Bandit. <laughs> the disc now that I would want is named after my dog Taco. And it would have an image of the taco of the food. With Taco's legs, tail, and his head. And giant ears. <laughs> That's really cute, though. <laughs> I feel like if you did a Bandit one, though, it would have to have, like, a bandana and, like, some guns. like. Yeah, either that or the other one I was going to do was naming it after Bandit. And it would have an image of his little face, but I think that we could put, like, a little robber's mask on his eyes. <laughs> I think that I'm not very creative, so I originally said the gyroscope, because it's a gyroscope. But then we were talking about how the you said that there's a company that puts scientists on their discs. So then I was thinking maybe I would name my discs after, like, famous physicists or something. Yeah. Yep, all they, so far they just have yeah Tesla and Marie Curie, but they actually have a disc just called Tesla. So <laughs> okay, Eric, what would your what would yours be called? The Basket Buster. <laughs> I like it, and it would be Glow Sea Line Pure or Glow Sea Line Logic. I already thought about that one years my, ago. Mine would be the Send It. It would just be like the fastest driver ever. Like a 20 speed. <laughs> we, it's funny when you say send it because in climbing, when you like finish a climb, it's called sending it. So I guess that's a term in disc golf as well. Yeah. It's, it's the thing, it's a term in like everything. It's just a redneck culture too. Like, send it <laughs> right before you go jump your car over a burning <laughs> building or something. <laughs> I don't know. My family's pretty redneck. I had never heard it before. <laughs> Look up Larry the Enticer. I think my taco disc would be a fairway driver. But it would also be very fast like yours. And then the bandit disc would be a putter, but like really slow. Really chunky putter. Like a, a zero speed. <laughs> Mine would be uh, a tomahawk throw disc. <laughs> oh, she's recreating the arrow be epic. I like it. <laughs> All good choices there. Three, two, one. Top, Top five. five. <laughs> Oh, yeah! <laughs> Since we had science with Millennials on, we decided we would do the top five scientists who would be good at disc golf. 
I'm going to kick it off at number five, because he's barely a scientist, Leonardo da Vinci, da Vinci, whatever. Nailed it. Him part, him being part artist would also make him good, because I feel like disc golf is a very artsy sport. Plus, I think he would have had to make the discs out of, like, clay, so <laughs> probably but, would help that he could make a disc. But, so, he made the disc, right? So he invented disc golf now, back Ooh. in, whenever he was alive, so he'd have to be, like, the best one then. Nailed it. <laughs> what, so, but what makes disc golf artsy? Um, I don't know. People just like to be out in the woods and enjoy like nature. And... <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. Disc golf is Also, actually... there's artwork on the discs themselves. Yep. Mm-hmm. I guess it's more, disc golf has always been kind of like counterculture. So I feel like art is kind of sometimes counterculture. Up until Speaking now, we're hitting disc more golf being counterculture i was talking to some friends the other day and mentioned that i was going to be on a disc golf podcast and they were like there's enough to talk about about disc golf to have a podcast <laughs> yep oh yeah there sure is <laughs> only when you're this uh, obsessed with it <laughs> number four is beaker from the muppets i've never seen the muppets i am highly disappointed she has also not seen mulan <laughs> There are so many things I've never seen, okay? <laughs> anyway, I think that Beaker would be good because he has hands. It's fair. All you need to be good at disc golf is hands? Yep. Basically. He also has well, arms. Feet. And feet he's constantly help. paranoid, so. What does paranoid have to do with it? <laughs> yeah, like, is, that's evidence. <laughs> it is now. Yeah. You can just erratically throw the disc. <laughs> Rosalind Franklin would make a good one because she's really smart and knows a lot about the structure of things and stuff. So she'd figure it out. That's what all, all disc golf boiled down to, is just figuring it out. <laughs> she's good at figuring it out because she is the one that really figured out the structure of DNA, but then two dudes got credit for it instead. So she'd win the event and two dudes would get the trophy. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I dig it. I don't. Why are men? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Number two, a man. <laughs> Myth the legend. Neil deGrasse Tyson. What does it actually say, though? Neil deGrasse, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Tyson. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson. Apparently, we picked some grass to be number two. Yep. <laughs> no, uh, Neil's, uh, he's really into, like, physics. He's, like, so. the most famous physicist. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Besides, Especially right now. Yeah, so, I think he would be able to just really... He'd just be like, well, if I do this, then it'll fly to exactly this spot. Right, like, his brain is a computer, so... He'd have a little, like, piece of paper, like, scratch paper with him to do the math. Just to do the math real quick, and then, like, pick the angle, pick the, pick the, uh, like, light. Yep. And... yep. and we can all announce our number one at the same time if you want to. Bill Bill Nye! Nye. <laughs> the science Bill guy. Nye, the science, the science guy. guy. <laughs> he's just clearly the best scientist at everything so you know 
He's also nice pretty rad, so I feel like he played disc golf. Yep. I agree with everything she said. <laughs> my my favorite thing that he's done is he just took a globe and then just lit it on fire when he was talking about climate change. That was just my favorite, favorite thing. I don't know why that Accurate, makes him good though. at disc golf, but makes him a cool guy. Yeah, that has nothing to do with disc <laughs> That's golf. That's like though. 50% of being good at disc golf, right? As being a cool guy? Yeah, and burning so. stuff. We have an episode coming out about global warming. All right, more about Bill Nye on that episode. Yeah. <laughs> we did not talk about Bill Nye at all on that episode. We'll just just a whole episode oh, sorry. Well, that was our top five. If you think a different scientist would be better at disc golf than the five we named, message us. Let us know in any comments, reviews, all of it. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So okay. where can the people find you? Uh, we have new episodes every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Catch us everywhere you listen to podcasts as well as on social media, especially Instagram. We're Science with Millennials on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Thanks for having us on today, guys. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. I love talking about science. It was fun for us, too. Got to yeah, learn. thanks for teaching me something. Yeah, I appreciate that. And hopefully the listeners learned something, too. Would you like a dad joke before we go? Always. Absolutely. What's the difference between dynamic discs and dismania discs? What? One will judge you while the other one questions your logic. Uh, I don't understand this joke. Got him. The judge is a putter by dynamic discs, and the logic is a putter by discmania discs. Ah. And it's funny because they're both made by Latitude 64 in real life. So the two disc companies are just fake life. Yep. Basically. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for the wonderful job. On that note. <laughs> Check them out. Uh, look up Science with Millennials. And uh, thanks for coming on, Rachel and Cody. Yeah, for sure. And then don't forget to check out our episode where we have them on. I know we mentioned it earlier, but we were talking about the plastics and discs as well. Yeah. Check us out. We're on theirs. They're on ours. They're both released the same day, Wednesday, the something. 25th? Yeah, the 25th of August. And we'll have links to all of their stuff in the show notes. Bye! And that was episode 31. Today we had our great friends over at Science with Millennials on. We talked a little bit about Stafford Open. We did a top five scientists who would smash at disc golf with our friends at Science with Millennials. That was great. That was <laughs> Not in that order at all. You nailed it, Eric. (laughs) If you can't get enough of us every Wednesday here on the podcast, check us out on almost every social media site out there. Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Patreon. If you need links to any of these, they're in the show notes or they are linked on our link tree. Cool. Thanks you guys for joining us for another episode. We will see you guys next week. And I'll catch you on the flip side.